Welcome to another episode of Dr. Doctor, your radio show and podcast featuring your physician host, Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally, where we will discuss relevant health-related topics from an authentically Catholic perspective. Today, our guest, who will be heard across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network, will be Dr. Dominic Vachon. He's the director of the Center for Compassionate Care and Medicine at Notre Dame. This is going to be fascinating. But first of all, let's set the table by going through an article, which <laughs> really, the you'd think the Center of Compassionate Care for Medicine, at least when I first heard that, I said, I, I thought it should be synonymous with medicine. But the moral of the story is that there's a lot of opportunity here, both for us as, as physicians, but also for patients to kind of see behind the curtain. And we don't want you to think this is just a show about doctors talking about doctor <laughs> stuff that doesn't pertain to our listeners, because compassion in the physician-patient relationship is important just as much as compassion in any relationship between two people is important. It should look a lot like compassion between anyone. Yes. But there are times, and, and it, it looks to be frequently, that it's, it's not being addressed fully in the doctor-patient relationship, or really it's notably absent. Well, in fact, compassion in medicine was something I was never taught explicitly. W did you ever have a... a a talk, an explanation, a workshop on that? Uh, we did, you know, and and I think that's one of the things that it depends on your medical school. So I, I went to Michigan State, and that was something that they were kind of known for. And a lot of times there's kind of tongue-in-cheek jokes, like these are the fluffy classes. Yes, yes. You know, oh, you just got done studying microbiology and you took a four-hour test. Okay, now we're going to go talk about our feelings. You know, <laughs> it's, it's easy to think that... And our patients' feelings. And our patients' feelings. You know, it's easy to think that that's not important. But on a daily basis, it's a lot of what makes somebody very effective or ineffective as a clinician. I remember being horrified uh, scared, quivering in my shoes when I had to go see the first patient with a terminal disease. I I had no preparation for what to do, and I'm flooded with these feelings, and I wish I'd had these classes that Dr. Vashan teaches the college students to pre-med students now because we were just expected to, to buck up, and it's kind of the implicit message was that we should ignore feelings. We should right. just be very methodical, very rational, matter of fact about, okay, just the facts, ma'am. That, that's what we're talking about. Yes, we can do this. No, we can't do this. Oh, I'm sorry about that. But you had more than that. Well, and, and I think there is kind of this, I don't know if it's an unwritten rule, but there's this perception that if you do show emotions or have emotions to anything, you're somehow weaker or lacking confidence, you know? And I, th I think as a student, especially going through it, I was always afraid that people weren't going to take me seriously because I was just learning, you right. know, as we all are at, at different times. But the last thing you want to do is not be able to be confident. And I, and I think the, the lack of empathy is what a lot of people equate to confidence, but it really is something quite different. Right. And as we'll talk about tonight, there is a difference between sympathy and empathy and compassion. This was something fascinating that I learned, that empathy alone is not enough for compassion. There's so many fascinating aha moments as I've been reading through Dr. Vashan's book called How Doctors Care. just came out a couple months ago, August 2019. And it's, it's a soft cover textbook that's made to use in colleges, but the points are just so relevant to everyday life. Well, the study that Andrew and I have in front of us was released in uh, June of 2015. It was in the Journal of Participatory Medicine. Had you ever heard of this journal? I, I haven't, but I was really impressed with the study because it was so common sense that it, it was just refreshing for me to be able to point to something and say, we should have known that's how so many people feel. So this was really actually kind of great truly on-the-street research done to find out what our listeners would like to hear because the study was done in Washington, D.C. at uh, Metro Stops. Yeah, coffee houses. Yes. And just regular, regular folks. And they basically went up to these people and asked them about their interaction with healthcare, with medicine. And about 90% of people said, sure, I'd love to talk to you about it. Right. And they were just asked uh, two questions. Uh, the first question was to recall a positive and a negative experience with health care. 
And that's the way it was phrased, with health care. Second, they were asked, what can be done to most improve health care in the U.S.? Yeah, and I, I really liked in this article just several of the quotes that came out. They, they posted several of them that were rather salient, but it, it appears as though most people did comment around the doctor-patient relationship. In fact, it wasn't most. It was every single comment. Really? And, so of the 51, all 102 answers dealt with the physician-patient relationship. None dealt with the insurance company. None dealt with the pharmacy. None even dealt with the nurses or the hospital. They all dealt with the relationship between physician and patient. Nothing about the EMR, right? Oh, <laughs> that, that's like the other person in the room Yeah, is the electronic medical record. So what were some of the, the comments from this study that you enjoyed? You know, the, the thing that I, I saw in here is so many of the things that give me a lot of joy in, in practicing medicine. You know, one, one person talks that, you know, my doctor always starts off the annual physical with what's on, on the patient's mind rather than the doctor's mind and focusing on the patient. Another person says he listens to me and asks me about my daily life, how my medical problems affect my family. Another person comments that the doctor asked them questions about a relative who was not a patient, but it was just a story they had shared in the past, just like and that they remember friends. Yeah. Yes. So the number one thing that the patients wanted in healthcare was a doctor who listens to them, which totally makes sense. I mean, who wouldn't want a doctor that listens? And to some extent, I totally appreciate what they're coming from. And, and I also appreciate why it's so difficult for doctors. And, you know, to stand up for doctors a little bit, it's not that doctors don't listen, but it's that doctors don't know how to listen well. And that, you know, a lot of times what the doctors are thinking about are not what the patients are thinking about. And so they're kind of got two different agendas. The way I think of it is the patient has an agenda of why they came to the doctor's office and the doctor's got an agenda in his head as well. And it, at least when I'm seeing patients, I try and remember that the patient's agenda is more important than mine, but you sure try and get through both of them. <laughs> yes, know? we do. Uh, and the topic of tonight's show is actually the second most common thing. 71% of the respondents said they want in health care. And that is having a doctor who is caring and compassionate. It's called health care for a reason. Yeah, that's the truth. And, and the word care, well, I initially thought it came from the word, the Latin word caritas for love. It, it, it comes more from the same word as cherish, to oh, cherish wow. somebody, uh, it, to, to care for them. Uh, so some of the statements that were given in the study under that topic of having a doctor who's caring and compassionate, a 23-year-old man who said, I, I would want doctors to have compassion and show my loved one that they care about them as a human being, not just as another case to solve. And or a 58-year-old woman who said, my doctor cares a lot about people. It's obvious. She cares for all kinds of people. I've known her for 20 years. I came here without insurance, and she still helped me. Yeah, and that, and I think there's so much of that that is at risk of getting lost because the doctors are, are not focusing on that. The doctors are worried about, am I doing the right thing? Am I clicking all the boxes right? Am I making sure I stay on schedule? But at the end of the day, the, the patients really need to be heard and they need to know that you do care. And the, the third, and we'll go through the top three reasons here, the third thing that they wanted most, and it was right behind the 71% at 69%, was having a doctor who explains well. Yeah, that, and that one makes sense to me a lot because everything in medicine, you know, somebody described it to me once as, you know, medicine is a pond that's not very deep, but is very wide. <laughs> and uh, that's exactly how, how I like to think of it is all of this stuff is explainable. Nothing is rocket surgery, right, Tom? That's right. I like that term. <laughs> but the, the moral of the story is if you're not up with the medical terms and you don't get to see many people with the same problems, it's something that patients are always going to be unfamiliar with. So trying to make sure you take the time to explain it so that you're all on the same page, patients are going to do better if they understand what's going on rather than you just necessarily giving them a prescription or directions and hoping that they do it. And it's interesting. None of the top three are, my doctor's always right. Right. You know, my doctor knows exactly what to do. Uh, in other words, it almost implies that they realize we are not perfect. We are not 100%, but we 
they want us to be doing the best that we're capable of doing for them, which I think is a, a reasonable expectation. Right. I, and, I, and I think so. And, and part of this, and one of the things I'm excited to talk to our guest about, is how basically we can focus on that in our daily life and not just on the medicine. And it's fascinating. What we spend 99% of our time in medical school doing is not these three things. Right. You don't spend any time hardly on this in medical school. No. Or if it is in a class, it's in a fluffy class, you know. <laughs> right. Well, I like, you know, one of the uh, comparisons that Dr. Vachon makes in his book is people would talk about, you know, what you're saying, the, 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 the fuzzy stuff, was the, the hard science and the soft science. People would think of psychology, sociology, human behavior as soft sciences. Well, in Dr. Vachon's book, he talks about the hard sciences and the harder sciences. Yeah. And the harder sciences are really the ones that are dealing effectively with your own and with your patient's emotions. Well, and it's something that you can't just memorize. Most of medicine, if you hit the books enough, you can memorize most of it. But that is where the art comes in, in trying to, to treat people as people and deal with each person as an individual. Yes. And before we go to our break and bring in our guest, I have a trivia question dealing with this topic. And I'm going to go to a Dr. Francis Peabody, uh, a Harvard physician. When he was dying of cancer, he gave a talk to Harvard medical students about the problems of modern medicine. And in his talk, he said the following. It's a wonderful quote. The most common criticism made at present by older practitioners is that young graduates have been taught a great deal about the mechanism of disease, but very little about the practice of medicine. Or to put it more bluntly, they're too scientific, and they don't know how to take care of patients. One of the essential qualities of the clinician is interest in humanity, for the secret of the care of the patient is in blank, blank, the patient. This is a famous quote in those of us who've been through medical training. So fill in the blanks when he says, the secret of the care of the patient is in blank, blank, the patient. Fill in those two words. And as a bonus question, in what year do you think Dr. Francis Peabody gave this talk complaining about his students being too scientific? We'll be back after the break with more here on Dr. Doctor from the studios of Redeemer Radio. And welcome okay. back. It's time to bring in our special guest, Dr. Dam Dominic Vachon. And Dr. Vachon is the John Sheedy Director of the Ruth Hillebrand Center for Compassionate Care in Medicine at the University of Notre Dame. He used to direct behavioral medicine and caring science training at St. Joseph Regional Medical Center in North Central Indiana at the Family Medicine Residency Program there. So he has a lot of experience working with uh, physicians. He is a practicing psychologist. And for 10 years after working on the residency program, he came over to Notre Dame, uh, where he originally got his degrees in psychology and philosophy, as well as a master's in divinity there, and then a PhD in counseling psychology from Loyola in Chicago. He's been involved with training physicians, nurses, psychologists, and other helping professionals through his career. I met him recently at a, a panel that uh, we served on at Notre Dame for pre-med students and discovered that he has just published a book called How Doctors Care, The Science of Compassionate and Balanced Caring in Medicine, just published by Cognella Press in August of this year, 2019. Dominic, welcome to Dr. Doctor. Thank you very much. You Great know, to be with you. In this book, which you so generously sent me, you wrote that one day about 25 years ago, you came mm -hmm. home and told your wife that you had come to, quote, hate my patients, end quote. Your wife lovingly yes. challenged you and said, well, honey, you've got a problem because your patients <laughs> need you to love them to get better. How did you get to that That's point? Right. What were you experiencing at that time? You know, I thought I was going to be immune from burnout and hating my patients. Um, I had, uh, for years, been really uh, studying and working on the, you know, the relationship with patients and clients, and I had done my dissertation on the relationship between empathy and burnout among nurses. Ah. I did that study again with physicians. 
and I, I really thought I had uh, the world by the tail, and I also thought that I was spiritually in good shape. You know, if you got into a conversation with me, I'd be very good at God talk, <laughs> and I could fool I could fool you and me into thinking that I was really well spiritually grounded, and so I was kind of ambushed by it, and uh, it just was a growing sense of. Wow, you know, there was a variety of things, difficult people to work with, manipulative people, uh, really sad situations, difficulties in the organization, uh, tensions with colleagues, and it just kind of got worse and worse. And I got to the point where I would I would have to soup myself up for the next patient visit. And I'm like going, okay, you got to get through this. You got to do this. And, and, and then I'd start looking around and I'm like going, this is how people become cynical curmudgeons. I'm <laughs> on the way. And that's when I went home and I said, I've got a problem. And she said, you've got to go back to the drawing board and figure this out because your patients need you to love them. And that's what sent me back. And I really discovered that I you know, I was making some errors in how I was doing things. I wasn't taking good care of myself. And I really wasn't as grounded spiritually as I thought I was. Even though you would look at my behaviors and my language and you'd think, oh, this guy's fine. So why but, did you uh, think just, you were grounded well spiritually there? Well, I, I love spirituality. I love talking about it. Uh, you know, I was doing all the religious practices that I normally do. And so I was thinking, I'm, I'm doing fine. And so I was, and in some sense, looking backwards, I was going through the motions. But I don't think I had really engaged my spirituality with my work and with taking care of myself. Uh, and, and so, um, you know, I basically didn't realize that I needed that piece. Uh, and uh, I've, I've, I learned it the hard way. And what I've discovered over the years accompanying other helping professionals, especially physicians, is that, uh, and, and especially when I started doing workshops and sessions with physicians, uh, when I'd ask them a question like, how do you rely on your spirituality, your religious tradition, to help you stay compassionate and keep from being discouraged? They'd say, I don't know how to answer that question. I go to church, I have my practices, but what you're asking me, I've never really thought about before. So I, I discovered that a lot of us, it's one thing to have been reared in our religion. It's one thing to be doing our practices. But when we do uh, hard helping work, it looks like we have to take another step, um, psychologically and spiritually. And I, I think I discovered that the hard way. And then I kept seeing it over and over again. As I, as I got into training physicians and other clinicians. D Dominic, how did you do that? It sounds like you kind of hit rock bottom with burnout. How did you change direction and become really an well, expert on compassionate caring? Well, it was, it was really early. You're not supposed to have that happen <laughs> within two or three years of practice. You know, you're supposed to be after 40 years. And so what was wrong with me, uh, you know, on that? But, well, first of all, uh, I mean, thinking about divine coincidence, synchronicity, sure. I think I, I, really, I really admitted to, like, my wife and other people, I'm not doing so well. And then certainly I, I, I was like, I, think, I don't think I'm doing spiritually very well. And so a number of things, and, you know, I believe in the divine coincidence, and I think when we, when we put it out there and say, God, I'm not doing very well, help me, that really happens. And so a number of things happened to me. One was uh, a nurse by the name of um, Jean Watson, who's very noted for her work in caring science, she was doing these uh, 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 workshops in Colorado on caring science. And I thought, wow, I've never heard anybody talk about caring in a scientific way or as part of the whole healing process in a very explicit way. Yeah, the so science of caring would come across as an oxymoron to most people, to put those in the words it, in the same sentence. Exactly. And she had pioneered that. Uh, 
And so I thought, well, I'm going to go learn from her. And when I was in Colorado, this was my hidden agenda. I love Colorado. <laughs> and I went to see uh, friends of mine at the Holy Cross Novitiate, and I started, you know, I just talked about what was going on and uh, really shared with a good friend of mine who's really been a spiritual director to me uh, since then, Tom Stella. He said, you know, you ought to think about using the Hermitage. And uh, and he gave me a cassette, uh, by Jim, it was a cassette at that time, uh, uh, by Jim Finley uh, and Thomas Merton. And uh, I, I did a silent retreat in the Hermitage. And, you know, at first I was like, okay, God, I'm here. I love mountains. Do your work on me. Let's get this going. <laughs> and it didn't work. And then, uh, but, but when you say rock bottom, what happened was at a certain point I went, okay, God, I, I really don't know what to do. I, I, I am so disconnected from you, even though, though I think I'm connected to you. And uh, what do I do now? And so I think I had a lot of my ego in, okay, I'm doing the right steps. Make it happen, God. <laughs> and then when I finally went, I'm not doing so well. And then when, when that happened, I think I was finally able to really start being taught again. And that's when, you know, um, I reengaged my spiritual practices in a different way. The community of L'Arche, Jean Vanier, that had a big impact on me. And then there were probably a dozen encounters and things that happened that really, uh, you know, I feel like I was, um, I got back uh, and uh, connected again and recovered that compassion. And you wanted to share that with others, apparently, because you're involved in it, you know, up to your eyeballs now, right? Well, yeah, I am, but I, I didn't start out that way. At the beginning, I I was just trying to save myself and the people that had to work with me, you know, my clients and my <laughs> patients. Um, and, 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 but one thing that happened was I discovered I really, in my case, really needed to do a hermitage retreat every single year. Um, so I started doing that, and that's when I really started. Uh, my job shifted from... Uh, uh, training. I was training psychologists, and I was doing my own uh, my own clients. But that's when I got hired to do residency training, and then I started noticing that the residents and my colleagues were going through something similar. Well, let me and, pose a question uh, here that that segues in with that. I mentioned at the beginning of the show that when I was in medical school, the first time I had to go in alone to a room of a patient mm -hmm. with terminal cancer. I didn't have a clue what to do. And the only, quote, mm -hmm. instruction I had was seeing that, well, at least all the guys in medicine and many of the women in medicine, too, they would just, you know, have on a stoic face, just the facts. Yes. And I didn't know what to do with my emotions. Yep. Was that what a lot of these residents' experience was also before the, you saw them in your program? Yes. You know, it. it uh, let me tell you, I've met some of the most amazing people through that process. And, and so their desire to help others was very deep, very passionate. But then when they're in that situation, they're like going, okay, what do I do now? Yes. And, and, and really, there's a number of reasons for that, but I, part of it is a failure of our own training in a way that we have uh, minimized the importance of emotions or taught that they're dangerous or they're going to make you biased or make you lose composure. But the other thing that happened is when I saw residents who were blindsided by the emotional intensity of the work. Ah, so yes. either really suffering patients or a grueling, grueling schedule. And, and I think a lot of times that kind of detached uh, neutrality was a way to try to take care of themselves. Yes. And so I, I, I don't think there was anything malicious intended in that. No. I think it was, how am I going to survive this? And how can I really care for people? Because 98% of them really wanted to help people. Um, but, but, but it was like they were blindsided by the intensity. And then I think the other thing that happened is, uh, and this is what I learned by walking beside them, is that we give... We, we train people with a sentimental understanding of caring and compassion, and that does not last long. That immunizes people against the real thing, doesn't it? 
by thinking exactly. it's a sentimentality. Well, and that brings yes. into another quote from your book that I just love, and that is like we talk about the hard sciences, biology, chemistry, physics, <laughs> biochemistry, and yeah. the soft sciences of psychology and sociology, but you actually call them the harder sciences. Yes. Why is that? Well, uh, that happened several years ago, and I'm around people who are saying, well, Dom, you come from the soft sciences, or this is soft, or this is squishy. And I started hearing that, and it would make me defensive. And I'd say, no, there's a lot of science to this. And then, but they'd say, oh, the scientific methods aren't that good. And so I'd get into a debate like that. And then all of a sudden, I realized that there was no way to win in that. Because as soon as you say, well, you do a soft science, there's no way out of that. Uh, and so... So uh, I think doing um, these sciences uh, that have to do with examining compassion uh, in the healing process, I think it's actually hard to do. And actually, the founder of the biopsychosocial model, Dr. George Engel, he said what we need is more science, not less. But, uh, but when people say something like, oh, that's, that's the soft stuff, what they're really, they're, they're automatically saying that this is not very good. This is not very solid. Or less so important, I, even, they're implying. Yes, exactly. And so that's when I started saying, okay, you are no longer allowed to use the word <laughs> soft sciences in my classes. There, there are hard sciences and harder sciences. You can pick which one your science is. I don't care. But this is a hard science, and sometimes I think it's a lot harder than biology uh, and neuroscience. But I don't care which one. You, you can be the top dog. I don't care. But this is a science, and it's hard to study, and it's hard to do. And that's when I forbade the word uh, Soft science. I, I think that was incredibly wise because it turns it on its head because practically it is harder for just about all of us in medical school. Yes. Um, yes. It seems like in your book, in the first hundred pages of it, that the, the main theme that I saw was that instead of acknowledging, embracing, and using emotions, physicians try to bury them. And this has bad mm -hmm. consequences for patient and physician, and probably for anybody else caring for patients. Yes. So how do you seek to give us physicians and other healthcare professionals a way out of this damaging paradigm of emotional suppression? Well, the, the first thing, and this is where we need to be compassionate to each other and ourselves, is like to really go... Uh, how did I get here? Um, <laughs> what happened to me? And that my detachment, my burnout, my being a curmudgeon is really a way that I'm trying to survive. Um, and so not to judge ourselves in a, uh, in a fatal way about it, but just to say, hey, you know what? My heart's in the right place, but I, uh, I'm not doing so well here, and so let me just get through seeing 20 patients in a morning and try to survive that. Uh, but then to begin the process of, well, what happens when we suppress the emotions is we actually, and the studies really bear this out, we actually don't do very well at all. It becomes a downward uh, spiral. And so I think the first thing is to say, let me name what I'm going through. Sort of like what happened to me when I went like, I'm not doing so well. And it seems like that naming is a really important beginning step uh, to say, I'm not doing very well. Or, gosh, you know, uh, my family is not feeling like I'm very present at home. Or I'm not really engaged outside. Uh, and i got to really work on that. And when, when we do that, we start looking for ways to rebuild that. And, and what I've witnessed with physicians and helping professionals in general is when they start by saying this detachment thing is going to get me into a lot of trouble in my personal life and in my professional life because I, I think we all have different routes to come out of that and I think a lot of physicians find ways out of that uh, and, and I, I really like to interview physicians get to know physicians who found a way out of that bottoming out because and Most let's talk about that. We have to take a quick break here. Then we'll talk about okay. emotional detachment and the way out here on Dr. Doctor. And we're back here on Dr. Doctor. 
Dominic, I have a question for you. You know, we were kind of talking about this emotional suppression as a poor coping mechanism. And after we identify we have that problem trying to work from there, how, how can our listeners who are not necessarily in the medical profession uh, appreciate this? And what, what kind of things can they learn for their own lives about this? Well, uh, the, the first thing is it's compassion is about all of us. Uh, and, and what the, the science of compassion is showing in general, uh, and, and, and as, these, as this science was uh, really coming uh, very, uh, coming out strongly in the last 15 to 20 years, and by that I mean like the neuroscience of compassion, the biology of compassion, this was not being applied directly to healthcare. It was just about being human in general. And so, uh, backing up, and I'm really glad you're asking that question, because it's not about being in a helping profession, it's about being human. And what the science of compassion is really showing us, and, and we've known this from our own spiritual traditions uh, forever, but what we're really seeing right now, biologically and neuroscientifically, we are built for compassion. And so we humans, when we're not compassionate, something's wrong in us. And so um, uh, Dacre Keltner has this great line, and it turns out that Darwin actually talked about this. So instead of, everybody always says Darwin talked about the survival of the, uh, the fittest uh, and uh, dog eat dog and that kind of thing. Well, it turns out um, it's really survival of the kindest, that uh, <laughs> compassion is the reason we succeeded as a species. And, and of course, if we look, you know, the image and likeness of God, we are built in the image of likeness of God, and that means love. And so compassion is our deepest essence. And so I think for any of us, when we are, uh, when we're uh, detaching ourselves from others, when we are uh, afraid to really look at what our emotions are telling us, um, then we're in trouble. Um, and um, uh, so this really is about being human. And really the book, I mean, I wrote this for physicians, but frankly, everything in there is about being human. Um, and the cool thing about it is it, it shows the science behind it and says, what I, one of the things I don't like is when people compartmentalize compassion. And right. like, for example, people will say, well, I'm no Mother Teresa. <laughs> uh, and, and, and that's almost like let the Mother Teresa's do the compassion and yes. I'll just do my own thing. And it's really like, no, 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 no. Nobody is off the hook here. Yeah, if you're not, excuse, if compassion's right. not part of your life, and by that I mean your ability to give compassion, your ability to receive compassion, and your ability to be compassionate to yourself, then something's not right. And so don't be hard on yourself, but figure that out. Because we're really, it's just like the scriptures say, we are at our best and our happiest when we are grounded in that love or that compassion, however you want to think of that. So, so Does that... It, yeah. it sounds like you're you're describing the antidote to this as kind of getting back to the basics. How how do you teach the residents and other people you train how to do that? Well, uh, uh, everybody has a different route, and frankly, I just try to meet people where they're at, and I always make the assumption that compassion is in there in that human being. I mean, if they had someone in their lives that loved them. Um, they have compassion in there, and uh, my job is to help them discover it and discover ah, its power. And so sometimes it's really like helping them notice its power in their relationships, personally or with patients. So, for example, I'll say, you know, try connecting with your patient and helping them feel really safe with you and then see what happens. And then they'll talk about how their patient is way more disclosive. And I say, see the power of that, uh, you know, uh, uh, you know and, and see how when you help a person feel safe with you, you actually get better data. So it's not only bedside manner, it's not only making them feel comfortable. When they feel comfortable, they tell you more information. And, you and can then help on them top more. of that, <laughs> uh, but yeah, but did you say open more? No, you can help them more. Yeah. 
When, when I have more, more data, yeah. I can help a patient with their medical problems better. Yes, and then the other thing is they actually want to do, I mean, when they feel cared for by you, oh, um, yes. they actually want to, they're more likely to do, and actually some of the studies say they're 25% more likely to follow through on your recommendations. So our connecting with our patients, and this is not just true in medicine, this is true in parenting, this is true in in friendships, this is true in business. Any, when you make a good connection with another human being and they really feel like you are there for them, they're going to do. They're going to do more with you. It's, they're going to open up more with you. They're going to be more motivated to be with you. It's very interesting because that's one of the things that did strike me when I first got into practice is having patients come and say that I I was afraid that you were going to be disappointed with me. Oh wow! Or yes. I yes. I knew that you would be proud of me for this. And especially, right. you, you know, fresh out of training, it, <laughs> I never thought of it in those terms. You know, I'm rooting for you there. Yeah. I'm here to help. You know, I'm disappointed with you, but I, I would, wouldn't be disappointed at you. You know what I mean? Well, what, what's really interesting, and psychologically, what I've really come to understand is that when we make a connection with people and they really feel like they can trust us and we're really there for them, they actually internalize our, the relationship with us. And so what happens is we may have forgotten them 10 minutes from now, but when we were with them in that room, they really felt us being totally into their problem and, and, and who they are. And they internalize that. And so what we say and what we do with them, it actually kind of works on them. Sometimes it haunts them. You know, here's a person, <laughs> a good here's a person who listened to me, who challenged me, who cared for me. Why am I not caring for myself? And so they walk away and they're like going, you know, why am I not taking care of my health? Dr. So-and-so is this, you know, he or she spending time with me. And so that relationship of care really keeps working on them. Uh, and so uh, th that's one of the great mysteries of this healing work is how we're built uh, that way, that when somebody really cares for us, it echoes right back to our own parents taking care of us. That sounds like and, sustained uh, release caring. I mean, that's better than sustained release <laughs> oh, medicine. I, mean, I like that. Uh, you know, Dominic, uh, another thing in your book I really liked was the the untrue dichotomy of the competent doctor versus the caring doctor. Can you comment on oh, that? Oh, wow. All right. Which would you rather have, a smart doctor or a caring doctor, right? Right. Uh, uh, well, um, both. <laughs> I, right. Uh, I, both, exactly. Well, actually, I have, uh, when, I, um, when I teach a course on compassionate care and medicine, uh, and when it's a graded course, I mean, because I do workshops and that, but when I do a graded one, I do an oral final exams, and, and, and one of the questions is, I want you to evaluate this sentence. I, uh, I, uh, being a smart doctor is more important than a caring doctor. Now, I intend that as a trick question. Yes. Um, uh, because uh, one, playing both sides, uh, I could have the smartest doctor in the world, the best surgeon in the world, but if that surgeon does not care about my problem, those smarts are worthless. Yes. So compassion defined as you're, you're being really into what is going for, on for that patient, is, uh, is that competence means nothing unless I direct it at the person with me. Yes. And, and where I go, I'm going to give you my best brains. All the years of training I had, all the surgical practice, all the late nights, I'm going to give that to you. So when you don't define caring and compassion in a sentimental way, but you include, hey, caring about somebody means I'm giving them my undivided attention. It means that I studied hard and I trained hard. And it really means that this person in front of me matters well, then you can't separate the two uh, because the fact that you learned your craft well, that you're a great surgeon, for example, means that you cared enough about people to learn your craft well. So it almost doesn't make any sense anymore to separate them. Amen to that. I completely agree. You know, Dominic, one of the words we keep throwing around is compassion. Could and you, empathy. And empathy. 
Are they the okay. same thing? Are they different? You know, it turns out they're different. And, you know, I'm, you know, this is splitting hairs because, you know, empathy is a great thing and compassion is a great thing. But when, uh, when people look at them scientifically, they turn out to be different. And so, now, this is not just true for medical professionals. It's just true about life. So when we have empathy for someone, when we get a sense of what they're going through in a sympathetic way, so we feel what they're feeling, uh, and then we're concerned about them, or we understand their perspective, that's empathy. But when you have that by itself, that can be really overwhelming. So when you're helping a loved one who's, for example, going through a really hard time, has cancer and is dealing with that, when we empathize there, that's, that's hard. A lot of people run away from that or they do it in small amounts. Compassion is different. And so what com- empathy is kind of in the middle of compassion. And the way the scientists are describing compassion and there's, there's so much wonderful material on this in, in all kinds of disciplines, you know, in philosophy, ethics, uh, theology. But scientifically, they come down to compassion having four steps. And one is being able to notice suffering. And then the second is being moved by suffering, but not losing a sense of yourself in it. And then the third piece is having a desire to respond to the suffering of the other person, and then the fourth one is actually doing that. And so those four together are compassion. Now, when you talk and, about this in your book, you, there was something that was surprising to me. I want to make sure I understood this correctly. You said that we can't help but to have some level of empathy. Is that right? Oh, yes. This is one of the so things. So it's not a skill necessarily. It's almost an automatic and we're wired it is. for that. It's, Explain that. Yeah. A lot of people think that, uh, like especially in medicine, they think that they turn on empathy. Uh, and so if they, uh, but the reality is we, when we're getting detached, we actually have to turn that off because of the mirror neuron network in our brains. Tell our, our listeners bodies. what mirror neurons are. Mirror neuron means that when I'm with somebody and they put their hand in a fire, the, the, and their brain is lighting up in certain places, registering that pain. Now, in my brain, the same areas are lighting up as if my hand were being burned, mm-hmm. except the, not the sensory piece. Right. So, so there's a way in which my brain is, and, and the way we're built this way, because we human beings need to be able, we read each other in order to help each other. And so what happens is when you see somebody do something, your brain is firing in a mirror-like way, and that gives you a clue about what their intentions are or what they're going through. And that's why we're so good at responding to help other people, is because we're built to mirror this, so to speak. So an example and, that, you know, big burly guys watching football games, when some guy gets hit really hurt and gets hurt, yes. and they go, oh, that had to hurt, their yes. mirror neurons are firing. Yeah. You, hey, you remember that, I'm trying to remember the basketball game that happened, but um, a player got a compound fracture of his leg. I remember uh, that exact it, game it, before it, you even told me. And, it sticks and, in your mind, that, that image. Uh, well, when, when, when you look at that video, what happens is, uh, so this really gruesome thing is happening. All the other basketball players and the coaches are all, they, you can see that they are visibly shaken. Yes. Uh, except one, the, the EMTs and one of his fellow basketball players goes up right up to him. And, and that captures perfectly what happens to us as human beings. When we see somebody else suffer, we can get overwhelmed by that and want to turn away. But compassion is when you're able to go, oh, my God, this is awful, and you, you approach the person. And there was a student who was a CNA in one of my classes, certified nurse assistant. And she said, uh, I said, how do you see this in your job? And she said, you know, in CNAs in nursing homes, there are two types. One type of CNA walks into a room, and a person is in the bed there, and they're they're soiled. They're in their own urine and feces. And one CNA goes, oh, my God, i got to clean this. 
and there's kind of a disgust reaction yes. or a, you know they're thinking more of their own and the other type of CNA goes oh my god how long have you been like this let me get you cleaned up yes and that's the difference between kind of an empathic Ooh. distress and actually using your empathy and going toward the person is like, oh my gosh, how long have you been like this? Let me help you. So you're not thinking about how bad it is for you. You're thinking about like, oh my God, let me help you. And that's compassion. Okay, so Dominic, these four steps, let's get this clear at the end of this show before we go on to further shows. The first two steps were seen by the other basketball players and by both CNAs. Number one, they noticed the other was suffering. Number two, yes. they had some kind of emotional empathic movement. But right. the, the person practicing compassion does steps three and four. They decide to turn from their own maybe disgust yes. or negative feelings and seek to relieve the suffering. And then that step four, actually do something to relieve it. Right. That's right. And so what happens in step two, when you are encountering somebody who's going through really hard times and you're like going, I don't know what to say. I don't know what to yes. do. Well, what happens is, number one, it's not a one episode thing. Right. So what happens is people actually are much more helpful than they realize. Like simply being present can be a compassionate response. But what happens is you tap into all the ways in your own life, for example, that people have been compassionate to you. And so that basketball player who could go right to his uh, hurt colleague, uh, what, what probably happened in his life was that he, in some sense, was trained to go do that. You know, in other words, he, he, he's able to go... I'm not the one who's hurting here. That person is. And, uh, and actually, a lot of us learn how to do this. We, we all learn how to do this. So uh, somebody goes through something, and the first time we might not know what to do. I don't know what, whatever age we are. But, uh, and especially in our families, we learn how to help each other. And that skill just grows. And so th what happens then is... Um, you're able to, in emergency situations, difficult situations, especially as you practice it and keep doing it, do it better. And Dominic, so are, we're going to have yep. to stop there for now. Hopefully, we've whet the appetite of many listeners to go deeper into the science and practical responses of compassion. Dominic, thank you for being with us. We look forward oh, to having you back again soon. Thank you for inviting me. You are welcome. We'll be right back with the end of the show and the answer to the trivia question here on Dr. Doctor after the break. And we're back here on Dr. Doctor with the answer to the medical trivia question. So I asked you about a talk that Dr. Francis Peabody gave while dying of cancer, although his audience didn't know it. But he was talking to Harvard medical students. At the end of this quote, he said one of the essential qualities of a clinician like a physician, is interest in humanity, for the secret of the care of the patient is in blank, blank, the patient. And it's a very simple answer. The two blanks are really caring for. So the secret to the care of the patient is in caring for the patient or caring about the patient. And, and you'd like to think, I mean, especially for people outside of medicine, you'd like to think that that shouldn't even need to be said. But when you do the same thing day after day, it's it's very hard. And I think we've talked a lot about burnout on this show. It's hard going from patient to patient without taking a breath, effectively crying or wanting to cry in one room, rejoicing in the next one, stressing out because you're late, blood everywhere. I mean, it gets to be stressful. But one of the things I really liked that Dominic said was yes. just being present in the moment made me think of our mindfulness discussions. Yes, exactly. And I, I think that is a secret to life. And it is definitely a secret to compassion. Yeah, being present in the moment. It's such a challenge. But one of the things that people used to say when they met St. John Paul II is they felt like when they were in his presence, one-on-one, -on -one, that they were the only person in the universe. John Paul's attention was totally on that person. Isn't that incredible? Yes. Gives but, us something to aim for. Yeah, it's, some, it's a gift that we could give to everybody. Now, the second part of this trivia question was what year do you think Dr. Peabody gave this talk to his students about them being too scientific? I, I misplaced this year, so I'm wondering if our listeners did the same. Uh, he gave this talk in 1927. And we can imagine 
When when was penicillin invented? Was that 29? No. Well, it might have been discovered in the Petri dish, but it didn't come out. Until World War II, pretty much. Pretty much being developed in the 30s. But so the, this was before antibiotics. They were already too scientific. Yes. Yes. Isn't that amazing? Yeah. I mean, just, just imagine now. So uh, maybe Hippocrates said this about his students. I don't know. You know, 2,400 years ago. Or this goes back ago. to Osler and, and, <laughs> and all of those things. Uh, so... This is so important. We showed at the beginning of the show in the article that we reviewed that this is really what patients want, a good relationship with their physician. But I love the fact that Dominic could take it and apply it to any human relationship. So that's why we'd like you to come back. There are so many more aspects of this to discuss, including what, what's going on in the brain besides the mirror neurons that are leading to compassion. So thank you all for listening to another episode of Dr. Doctor, the official radio program and podcast of the Catholic Medical Association, brought to you here from the studios of Redeemer Radio on the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Please share the news of our show, Dr. Doctor, with a friend. Invite them to listen on their favorite podcast app, or they can listen at (laughs) RedeemerRadio.com forward slash doctor. Be sure to rate and view, review our show to help new listeners to find us. And be sure to tune in next week for your appointment with Dr. Doctor, where we will continue the discussion about caring and compassion in medicine with Dr. Dominic Vachon. This is Dr. Tom McGovern. And Dr. Andrew Mullally signing off until your next dose of Dr. Doctor. Dr. Doctor is the official radio program of the Catholic Medical Association, whose members are dedicated to upholding the principles of the Catholic faith in the science and practice of medicine. The views expressed on Dr. Doctor do not necessarily represent those of your co-hosts or the Catholic Medical Association. Find our past episodes and keep up with the latest from Dr. Doctor by subscribing in your favorite podcast app and following us on Facebook. Get links to follow and subscribe or submit a question for our doctors by texting the word DOCTOR to the Holy Cross College text line at 260-436-9598 or visit RedeemerRadio.com slash doctor.